I want to tell you a story. It's a story about a scandal, broken relationships, gossip, rumors, money, corporate rivalry, and a broom. A performance-enhancing broom. My name is John Cullen. I'm a comedian, podcaster, and for 20 years, I was a semi-professional curler. And I want to tell you the story about how a single broom almost imploded the 500-year-old sport of curling. We felt like we were bringing a knife to a gunfight. It's the story of a superstar and his fall from grace. Oh, I was being dragged through the mud. It's the story of two brother entrepreneurs with a dream. Yeah, I said, that's great news. It's a story of intrigue. I still don't understand why we want to keep his name secret. The full story has never been told, so I'm going to tell it. Broomgate. How a broom almost killed curling. It was a year I'd like to forget. To listen to Broomgate, search for Broomgate in your favorite podcast app. That's all one word. Broomgate. Welcome to Zolivor Report. This is Clark here. Hello, everybody. All right, James, we still don't know as of the, the recording time of this podcast when the season's going to start. We think it might be around January. Um, do you, I'm, do you, I'm here in how mid, do you feel about the uncertainty? I'm here in mid to late January, Jonas. Is, uh, it sounds like the, the league and the players are getting closer to agreeing on something. So they're going to come up with some sort of compromise deal on what's going to happen with the salaries for next year. And then, uh, you know what, I... I'm not sure that a January 1 start makes sense for a couple of reasons, but the players probably aren't going to want to come to training camp like right before Christmas and, and do it then. Um, and I think from the league's perspective, what they're thinking is that the longer they delay, the more likely there's going to be more fans in the building later in 2021. At least that's the hope um, with all the talk of vaccines and all, and all that. So that that's probably why I wouldn't expect the regular season starts until let's say like January 20th probably, which would mean training camps open early 2021. Okay. I don't want to spend too much time talking about start dates. Um, I do want to talk about the results of the fan survey uh, that was on The Athletic uh, two weeks ago, I think, when earlier this month, which is November. Uh, I do also want to get into, um, have some fun with some of the line combination possibilities for next year. I wrote about that. Uh, we should talk, I think, to start, James, just like very, very, very briefly um, about those new jerseys. What do you think? I thought the Leafs one was okay, but I saw that they were getting lots of negative feedback about it. So maybe I'm out to lunch. I'm not. I'm not like the most hip fashion sense, but I <laughs> like. I think is like what they're trying to do is do something a little bit different, like kind of a twist on on the jersey and like make them like a little bit more hip and young. And like I could see. You know, if you're like a 15-year-old or something, that that New Jersey would be like, okay, that's like kind of like a cooler version of the Leafs jersey, if that makes sense. Yeah, I don't mind it. I, I, I like the, I have long wanted the NHL to have a little more fun with this. Uh, the NBA just has like a million jerseys and it just seems like it's an easy way to make money. And it's fun. Like it's fun watching games when things look a little different. Like night after night after night, the same thing, it just starts to feel dull and so if you can mix it up like i used to like when they have those third jerseys but just to finish james like the tough thing for them is like their old third jersey uniform that white and blue they kind of took a little bit of that and made it their normal uniform like with the logo so maybe they were kind of boxed in by 
their new uniform. Does that make sense? Well, the thing with the Leafs is like, how much can you really do? Like, how? It, I'm sure Montreal ran into the same thing, and the Canadians actually did something a little bit more radical, going with like the navy main color on their jersey. But I think the Leafs one. I think when you you get like we haven't seen the full uniform, right? Like we don't know. I think that if you've got the right color pants and stripes and socks and, and gloves and everything, I think that the one that they've got can look pretty sharp. Even though the logo, I know the logo is like what, what a lot of people are criticizing. I think it's okay. Like it's, it's wasn't the criticism that it was too big. Yeah, people don't like the font on it, and uh, I don't know. I mean, some some of those reverse retro jerseys are really good. I really did. You vote in the we did a we did a poll with the writers at the Athletic, and no, had, I didn't. Well, I, I do have a question because I'm, I wasn't super into all the, the minutia of this. Are like are the are the teams going to wear these jerseys, or yeah. are they just for fans? Yeah, they're yeah they're going to wear. I mean, I've seen mock-ups with like the full gear and everything. So yeah, they're going to. I don't know how frequently they'll wear them, but I think the the idea is that the, there'll at least be some games where these are the uniforms. And, and you know what it is, Jonas is it's a revenue generator for the NHL when yes. they, ba- they badly need one, and Christmas is coming and. And some of the jerseys were like Colorado's, Minnesota. I love the New Jersey one. Um, I thought Arizona was kind of fun, just with like the weird colors and stuff. Um, there, there were some. I thought Edmonton's looked nice. Some of them were crappy. Some of them, were, but but there's some really good ones in there too. And like you said, at least the NHL is like having some fun with this. And you you mentioned the NBA. Like, how cool would it would it have been if they did a Seattle uh, Kraken one that was based off the Supersonics? That's that that's the missed oh opportunity. Oh my god! Missed opportunity there that they should have. That's done. brilliant, James. I love that. Good idea. Yep. Yep. All right. So, if you haven't subscribed to the Athletic, go to theathletic.com/slash leaf report, and you can get a subscription for just one twenty five a week. So one of the things that you can be a part of and lots of uh, subscribers were a part of and we thank you for that was uh, a survey which you I think you put it out a couple times a year right James well I mean it's a new thing for us this year but I mean we did one when the season was shut down and we didn't have a whole lot to talk about in in April but it made sense to do another one to talk about the Leafs offseason you know what did what did fans think about the players that they brought in and what did they think about the direction of the team and the one question I was interested in was are you more positive about kind of the front office and what they're trying to do than you were before and things like that so it was interesting it's interesting that you know and thanks to all the people that 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 voted i mean we can get you know four or five thousand leafs fans all weighing in on something in in a couple of days and then we can turn it into you know interesting content so it's 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 something that we're experimenting more with at the athletic is is kind of subscriber driven stories and i I think we're going to do more of them because they're popular and and they're they're good they're interesting okay i want to go through some of the more interesting responses and questions uh and then i do want to get your opinion on uh one of the the questions i raised in a story about line combinations this week as to who should play with austin matthews to me that question is like really interesting um but let's go through some of these i'll circle the ones that i thought were most interesting uh, so we'll start with this one. Which off-season edition did you like the least? The number one answer at 31.9% was Jimmy VC. Number two, Zach Bogosian at 24%. Number three, Wayne Simmons at 14%. Um, I'm a, I'm surprised that like Jimmy VC for 900 grand. We talked about this with Chris Johnson on the pod earlier in the month. 
I'm surprised that that just isn't a no brainer for the Leafs for 900 grand. Like, were you surprised that that he was the number one answer? Yeah, I did not expect that at all. I thought it was going to be Bogosian or or Simmons or, you know, one of the other. This isn't, you know, guys that they brought in. But um, I I don't think fans realize that, like, Jimmy Vesey is actually a decent player. Like, he's an NHL player. He's a guy who can potentially contribute 20 goals. He's a guy who might get some time with Matthews or, or Tavares on one of the top two lines. Uh, who can play on the power play a little bit. Um, I, I think that people are just down on him just because, you know, the hype train got out of control four or five years ago when he was looking to first sign in the NHL. And it'll be interesting. It'll be interesting to see how he does and if if, if that perception changes. And the thing, too, that uh, the contract's so small that if it doesn't work out, you can just put him on waivers or whatever and, like, say goodbye and... But I think he's going to be fine. Like he's going to be a totally fine, like third line winger for not a lot of money, which is what they needed after moving out Kapanen and Janssen. Yeah, and, I, and I'm glad you brought up those guys because I kind of feel like I I compared him, not compared him, um, but I looked at Kapanen and kind of felt like he can potentially replace Kapanen's production. Like he's not going to be as fast, uh, but I wouldn't be surprised. We'll see how many games the season is, but I wouldn't be surprised if he scores at about the same rate as Kapanen did last year Uh, I think he can kill penalties Uh, he can play on a third line at least like you mentioned maybe he can play higher like I just think and and Kapanen's making 3.2 and he's making 900 grand like if you can get similar production for a third of the price like it's like why wouldn't you try it and like the other thing that that um, we haven't mentioned is like uh, this is kind of a year for him it's one of those a lot of the guys that they got, um, it's kind of a prove-it type thing where he had a down year last season in Buffalo. Now he's on a one-year contract. He's going to have every incentive to really push and, and try to have a better year so he can get paid next year. What did he say to you? He's going to come out with his hair on fire or something like that? Yeah. Yeah. Now, what about 10% of people saying that the offseason addition they liked the least was Joe Thornton? I don't, I don't understand that one either. So, but it's... That's the same thing where it's like, if you just look at it from the lens of like, there's literally, literally no risk. Like he was the, he came in for the minimum. Like even if he's a fourth liner, he's worth the minimum. And I I don't think he's going to be a fourth liner. I'm working on a story that I think is going to come out tomorrow, which will be Thursday. And it's projecting ahead the Leafs cap situation for the next few years. And they're going to have to kind of do this every year. Like they're going to, they're going to like, like look how many UFAs they have on the roster right now. There's, there, there, I think there's like eight or something like that. Like there's a ton of guys that are UFA. And even if you, you look beyond Anderson and Hyman, the obvious ones, a whole bunch of their depth guys, Lettinen, Bogosian, Thornton, Simmons, VC, et cetera, et cetera. They're all UFA. They're going to have to turn over these guys and find more guys that are making seven hundred, eight hundred, nine hundred thousand dollars, and and do that every season, uh, un, unless. You know, unless they something crazy happens and they trade one of the one of the big salaries, that's going to be the new normal for this team. Well, and, and like we talked about last season, at times the success of it can, in some ways, determine how good of a team they are. Like they didn't really, like they hit with Spezza, um, but I mean, obviously there were some trades, like the Kerfoot Barry acquisition didn't work out in year one. But like you kind of need to hit on at least a few of those things, right? And and they didn't really do that last year. Granted, a lot of those guys were like AHLers, um, but nothing really kind of popped. You know what I mean? 
Yeah, I guess that's the difference, eh? Like, they were trying to find guys that were kind of like... Guys that hadn't been given an opportunity, like Patan and Agostino and whatever, and, and project them to be more than what they were, and it didn't really work out. Whereas in what they're doing this coming season, it's we know these are NHL players. Some of them are like kind of reclamation projects like Simmons and Bogosian, and they're just not making a lot of money, but you know that they can play low in your lineup, and they're, they're more sure things, I guess, than what they tried to do last year. Yeah. Well, and, and one of like in in, re, in recent years, it has worked. Like Tyler Ennis was a good example mm-hmm. of someone that they signed for cheap. He had a good year, and then he got paid a little bit more uh, after that. Mm-hmm. Um, next question that uh, raised an eyebrow for me was: Did the Leafs make the right decision in keeping Frederick Anderson as their starting goaltender? Seventy-eight point six percent said yes. I was surprised that it was that high because I think if that if there's one thing you can really quibble with, and that could hurt them and we've talked about this before is not replacing anderson i understand the uh circumstances made it so it was difficult to find an upgrade but i'm surprised it wasn't a little bit higher for no just 21.4 percent i mean don't you find i I find in this market that that starting goalies get quite a lot of the benefit of the doubt from from fans you know, even when they had starters that were struggling, like Jonas Gustafsson, there was a, a you know a pretty sizable portion of the fan base that that supported them. And Anderson's had some solid years. I, I'm just there are some fans that are kind of quote unquote turning on him a little bit or souring on him a little bit, but not as many as I would expect. And it, it feels kind of like you and I, Jonas, are more down on Anderson than than maybe the general sentiment in the fan base. And the, yeah. the other thing that some fans said in the, in the comments is that it's not so much that they love Anderson. It's just that they didn't really like the kind of the alternatives that were there. So they felt like the Leafs made the right decision keeping Anderson just because they didn't feel like there was going to be another option that made sense. And that's completely fair. And that's like, that's a very rational response, but we, we do see that when we criticize Anderson, that there is a yeah backlash, which is, which is really interesting because I mean, we're just trying to judge it based on what we see. And it's really, really difficult to argue that in very important moments, he is not kind of crumbled. And, well, that, and you can't win a cup without, like, if your goalie's going to do that. Yeah. And and there was we had a really good discussion about this with Chris Johnston on, on the podcast two weeks ago. But internally in the organization, like, there's concerns about Anderson, you know. And I think I think there are, you know, players on the roster are like, well, is, you know, is, and, and it's going to be a hard year, you know, in the last year of his contract and Campbell pushing him and all these questions about what happened, you know, the last year. And it's, um, I think, I think it's, the Leafs legitimately explored it. And and I think it made sense for them to do that. And if it ends up, if he ends up playing really poorly, then it's not going to look very good that they made the decision that they did. So it's definitely, probably the biggest question mark going into next year is yes it? it's 100 percent. yeah yeah i mean what's number two actually one of the questions that you asked was uh what is your biggest remaining concern with the leafs roster mm. the number one answer actually surprisingly was go- was defense at 34.6 percent number mm. two was goaltending at 32.7 that that's a little surprising to me when they go out and acquire tj brody and add zach bogosian like i actually think their defense looks like it, it looks fine. Yeah, it looks better. But I mean, I think people are looking at it and they're still like 
it's like you have three guys that are top four guys, and then who's the fourth guy? And is you know you get Justin Hall, and you got there's there's definitely some question marks there about who's gonna. And and I think people are down on the defense just because, I mean, it's been a problem for so long, right? And some of the other ways they've tried to address it with Barry and CC just really haven't worked. So no. some of it, it, it's like. I think the fan base has seen Anderson play well and he gets the benefit of the doubt and they've seen the defense struggle and they don't get the benefit of the doubt. So, Okay, that's fair. But I do think there is like a misnomer and, and I make this mistake. I think we in media make this mistake. Fans make this mistake. We kind of expect a team to like have like this perfect roster and it's just not possible. Like you're not... The chances of you having like four surefire like really good top four defensemen you can do it like Tampa did it, but it's well, hard. I mean, and I was going like, to say it requires a lot of stuff. Tampa was playing Bogosian with Hedman. I mean, it's not like it's not like like they have a they have the best roster in the league. They have a very good team. They deserve to win the cup, but they're like perfect. Not no. Like if you have a perfect roster, you're not playing Bogosian with Hedman at, at any time. So, yeah, but I, I mean, they do have McDonough and they have Chernak. Like they they have a a, a good defense, but. That brings us actually to the next question that I thought was interesting. Which defensemen should join Riley, Muzzin, and Brody in the top four mm. most frequently? The number one answer at 32.6%, Justin Hall. Number two at 32.4%, wow, Miko Lentinen. Number three at 258 is Travis Dermott. Well, it just shows how split the vote is, right? Like, no one's really sure what they should do there. And I think I think people... I think the fans are right. I mean, Justin Hall might just be like a good third pairing defenseman in the NHL. And it's, there were definitely games there last year where it looked like you were asking a lot of him. And I I think that when he plays with Muzzin, that Muzzin's so good and such a stabilizing force that it makes Hall look so much better. And then when there were games where Muzzin was hurt in the playoffs and during the regular season, and you look, and Hall just like was exposed a lot more. So. That's that's part of why like Tampa plays you know like Hedman with Bogosian because you know you could if you have a really good partner it it changes the way that a player can look and I don't know I don't who do you think they should play in the top four? Well, let me get to that in one second because you brought up something in my mind uh, when I worked at Canadian Press um, for the I guess it was the World Cup um, I did a story on, on Jake Muzzin when he was he was going to be on the team. And I talked to Rob Blake, who is the, the King's GM, about him. And one of the things he said with, with Muzzin is that what he can do, and he compared it to, to Doughty. He wasn't saying he was Doughty, but he said what guys like that can do is they can prop up a lesser guy. And they can take a guy, and, and Doughty obviously did this for years. And he said Muzzin was entering that territory where you could play him with a lesser partner, and he would make that partner be okay. And I think it's interesting like when you talk about Justin Hall is Jake Muzzin kind of had that effect like you looked at their numbers together they were good like they were effective and they were playing hard minutes um so the the way I'd probably lean to start the year would be Hall uh, but I I think you want to get a look if you can at, at Dermot there I I think you need to answer some questions about him um I don't know if you start that way and maybe just see if it can work and then if it doesn't you can go back to to, to Hall but I, I, I'm curious about that. I don't mind that. I mean, Dubas has said publicly they want Dermot to start playing on the right side and and showing that, that he can be... Yeah, I, I think this has to be a year where 
the tough thing is it's going to be a shortened season. It's going to be a condensed season. It's going to be there's going to be things working against you. It's probably you're probably not going to get a lot of exhibition games. You're probably going to have a short training camp, et cetera, et cetera. Like if it was a longer season, you could experiment a little bit more. Uh, every game's going to be really important in this season. But um, yeah, I don't, so maybe you just go with what you know. It's just if you, you don't, I don't know it. But I do like the idea, like in exhibition, I'd like to see, or in like training camp and the scrimmages and whatever, I'd like to see Dermot with Muzzin and see what that looks like. Well, one thing I would be surprised with is is he was the, the number two answer is Lattin. Like, I just don't expect that to happen. Well, just with everything you're talking about, like he's going to be, unlike Alexander Barabanov, like who has been here since September and will have gotten himself used to kind of everything, if not NHL competition, like, Lettinen is just going to be coming in hot from the KHL, limited training camp. Like, to think that he's just going to step right into their top four just doesn't seem likely to me. What about you? The counterpoint to that, though, Jonas, is that a lot of people think that the players that are playing right now are going to have a huge advantage and that they're going to be kind okay. of in mid, mid-season yeah. form in January. Like, I know there are some guys in the NHL that are thinking, like, boy, I wish I went and played in Europe for, like, two months before the season starts because those guys are going to have a jump on us. Like, it's just hard to step right in you know, a short training camp and be ready to go at NHL pace. And someone like Letton and sometimes what you see with guys like that is that when they, they've played more than everyone else is that when the season starts, they're ahead of everybody. And then the league kind of catches up to them. So maybe Letton comes in and looks amazing out of training camp just because he's, he's, he's ready to go. But I do think that there's going to be a, a big adjustment period for him. Just, and that's, that's the why, counterpoint. That's what I, I was going to say. I would keep. I would want him on the third pair to see what he does for the first five or ten games. Yeah, protect him, play him on the power play. Mm-hmm. I, I think that makes more sense. So he's got, like, a, he's got a point a game in the KHL right now. He's got eight goals and eight assists in sixteen games. So yeah, KHL defenseman of the year last year. I, I wonder if we, if we, if you had to say it now, let's assume everyone's healthy. Which of those guys is the healthy scratch in game one? Maybe they play seven D. Ooh, <laughs> I don't um, think they do. I think it would be Lettinen or Dermot was would be who they would sit. I mean, it's going to depend on camp. I, I'm going to say probably Lettinen, but uh, I think that's if, he, fair. If, if he looks amazing, then maybe you just alternate those guys. I mean, I think what's going to happen, Jonas, is there's going to be lots of back to backs. I think they're going to play four games a week. They're going to like fly to Vancouver and play two or three games, and then you know, get one day off and then fly to Montreal and play two or three games. And it's, it's going to be, it's going to be like a baseball like schedule. Well, and they should find a way to give a lot of their guys the odd night off, like give Jake Muzzin a night, Mm -hmm. give obviously give the even older guys like 41 year old Thornton and 37 year old. Is he 37 or 38 Spezza? Anyway, give him a night off. All right. Next question. This one's really interesting. Again, I'm surprised by the result. Should the Leafs keep Nick Robertson in the NHL next season? 59.8%. 59.8%. Yes, he's too good for junior. Well, people are excited about him. I mean, like, there's another question about what prospect you're the most excited to see, and he's way up on that list, too. So, I mean, he, he probably is too good for junior, right? So it's like this, if, if the AHL was an option, it's a complete no-brainer. But I think they got to get that rule changed where, like, you you know, there should it's be... It's so stupid. There so should be dumb. an exception for some players that they don't have to go back to junior. Like, I understand... Maybe you get one guy. I mean, maybe it's like, I don't know, only a few around the whole league or something can do it. Or I, I understand that, like, it's, it's, it's a rule that the CHL has in place as an agreement with the NHL so that they don't just lose all of their players and... But... 
But maybe why there's... is the why is the NHL's big concern what's best for the CHL? Like, shouldn't it be what's best for their teams? Well, they have like a development agreement in place, so you know the NHL gives a lot of money to the CHL, and it, it's a negotiation, right? So I get that, but if I'm a team, like if I'm running a team, and you're saying, and I'm saying to you. The best thing for development for my player is not to play in junior where he's too good, is to play in the AHL where he can play against men and tougher competition. But shouldn't I have that right? But if you don't have a development agreement with the junior leagues, like if they don't want to, like what if they start giving contracts to guys that are, I don't know, like it could get, it could get tricky if, if, you know, what if, what, I don't know, but what if the CHL is like, okay, we're, we're in competition with the NHL for these players, so we're going to change the structure of our league and et cetera, et cetera. And they're I mean, going to outpay the NHL. I don't know. I mean, no, they don't, they wouldn't have to. They would outpay the AHL because we're talking about sending these guys to the AHL. And like Robertson, if he's playing in the AHL, is not making a whole lot of money. You know, like what's his deal? He's probably making like whatever eighty k or whatever. Obviously, that's not going to happen. But but that's why they kind of like they work together on these kinds of things and. But it just it seems like a shame when there's guys good enough to, to play at a higher level and they're not allowed to. Yes. Well, here's the problem for Robertson. They have to, like they have too many forwards. Like I, I just don't know he would have to have a really special training camp and push someone one of these guys out of a job. That's the only way it happens. I think the biggest problem is that you can't demote him. He's on an entry level contract, but you can't take him off the roster. Like unless there's like some weird taxi squad arrangement or something that happens, the Leafs are going to need a lot of flexibility to move guys in and out of the lineup. And just for cap reasons, like they're only going to be able to carry 21 players on the roster. And that's going to mean that there's going to be players like Lettinen or Barabanov or Ingvall or whoever, who are going up and down and up and down. And if Robertson, if you can't move him at all, then it's a problem. And so if it's a shortened season, I think what you do is you keep Robertson for like the audition period, probably. I mean, yeah. you're right. It depends on what he looks like in training camp, but you could keep him for the audition period and then decide at that point. And if he looks really, really good and, and you feel like he's one of your best nine or 10 forwards, then you keep him. And if not, then he goes back. Well, the good news to your point is you can send Engvall down. You can send Anderson down. Boyd needs waivers, but, like, I don't know that he's going to get claimed. Maybe he will. Um, so, like, he can be just one of your 13 forwards. That's the the other thing is, like, there's, like, 12 guys who I think are locks. Do you not agree? Um, well, I I don't know what they're going to do with, like, like I don't think Spets is going to play every night. and But he's a lock to be on the team. Like, I agree with you. I don't think he's going to play on every game. But how do you so Jonas like if 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 you can't afford on the cap to carry 13 forwards how do you sit a forward you know some nights maybe yeah <laughs> that's know. the thing like like they're so tight to the cap that i mean they're going to have to they're going to be going on these longer road trips like i wonder if the road trip might be like you go to Vancouver for 3 days and then you go to Edmonton for 3 days and then you go to Calgary for 3 days and you're playing like like it could be long trips and i don't know i don't know how it's going to work it's it's gonna be, they're gonna there's gonna have to be some sort of like a taxi squad situation, don't you think? Like, yeah, for sure. If these teams are going on like two and three week road trips, and and the Leafs can't afford to carry more than twenty one players on the cap, and they want to sit some of their forwards, it, it's I don't know. It's gonna be interesting. Yeah, and the tough thing is like the OHL is anticipating to start in February, but like who knows? You know what I mean? And 
And like the question um, says, he's too good for Junior. Like you, we, we've talked about it a lot. Um, his numbers last year were like historically good. So next question. What do I got here? Uh, this one. I like this one. The Leafs finished on pace for 95 points last season. How many do you predict they'll get next year, assuming an 82-game season? Now, the number one answer on the board, barely, was 96 to 100 points, a solid playoff team. 47.2% of the vote was for that. Number two, 105 or 101 to 105, a contender, which 42.7% suggested. What do you think? Yeah... I think that's the right. That's where the, that's where they should be. I mean, uh, ninety five last year was with like a whole bunch of injuries and the coaching change and like a weird shortened season and and the goaltending being an issue and there there were a lot of things that went wrong last year and I just I don't anticipate. I mean, what, what was their point pace under Keefe? Oh, I've got it right here actually in the story. They they played at a hundred and three point pace under Keefe. And that was even, they were still having goaltending issues under Keefe. So, you know, it's, I, th- I think that that's the right range for them is around 100 points. That's what they should be. I mean, the two years previous, they were 105 and 100. That That's that's the caliber of their talent level. I think, that I think that's about a, right, yeah. It should be a contending team, right? Like, I mean, like it's, some people balk at that and say, like, well, how are they a contending team? They've never won a playoff round. But by a contending team in the NHL, I just mean they're one of the best, you know, seven, eight, nine teams in the league. And they, they, they should be there. Anything other than that is a disappointment. It's a really tough conversation, but it's true. Like, if, if every year that they don't win the cup is, is a disappointment now. Like, they're in cup mode. So, I mean, they have four years left with Matthews under contract, Neilander under contract. Tavares is now 30. Like, as soon as they sign Tavares, like, that's like, the the clock is ticking. Yeah. So, next question. And if there are others that you want us to actually cover, let me know. Yeah, you skipped um, a whole bunch of good ones. No, I'm, I'm just yeah, well, I'm just lots kidding. of good ones, but I can only highlight the ones that really raised an eyebrow. There's for me twenty-four questions. Do you agree or disagree with this statement? In the next two years, the Leafs should still trade one of their highest, four highest-paid forwards for a defenseman. The number one answer on the board by like a hair was neutral at 28.9%. Number two, 28.2% was disagree. 18.3% agreed though. But guess, most most people most people disagreed. Like if you take the neutral fence sitter, yep. you know, have no take people, most people said no they shouldn't trade one of their four highest paid forwards, which is but about 25% said they, they agree in some way. Yeah. But 25 is, yeah, I mean, it's not, it's, it's I, I, like there's the, this gets talked about so much like trade Nylander, trade Marner, you know, they got to get a Petrangelo or they got to get a big money defenseman. But I think for the most part, the fan base understands what the front office is trying to do and agrees with keeping their talented forwards together and, but, I, you know, I think if we ask this question, let, let's say the Leafs don't have success this coming season. I think if we ask this question again, you know, next offseason, next summer, I think that these these numbers would move in a way that more people would, would think that potentially there should be a change. But 
I think it's the right decision to to run back another year with the group and hope for better injury luck and better goaltending and some of the weird things that went wrong last year, like Zamboni goalies and whatever. <laughs> like, I hope that some of that stuff doesn't happen and the team can take the next step. I think that that's the right decision. Well, what's interesting is like, James, when they signed TJ Brody, one of my initial reactions, and I put it in a story, was I actually thought that this bought the core more life like like an extra bit of rope because now you've you've got Muzzin signed Riley signed for two more years and obviously Brody signed um long term so like I don't think you're trading one of those guys to get a defenseman because you kind of with Dermot and with Sandine like you've kind of got your group like you don't need to and and the more time's gone on I've been thinking like was I too reactive is that wrong could could, like you say, if they had a disappointing season, would they trade one of those guys, Neander or Marner, for a defenseman? I still I still don't think so, but, I mean, maybe if the year goes really wrong, maybe – I just don't – then they're really thin, like, up front. Like, I just don't know that they can do it now. I kind of don't think it's likely. It's interesting. They went from not having a lot of certainty on defense. Like, if you go back and look at some of the projections we were doing last summer – and looking ahead two or three years, it's like, who's going to be on defense in like the next two, three, four years? That was before they gave Muzzin the extension. That was before they, they obviously signed TJ Brody. You give both of those guys four-year contracts. Riley, I know, is up in two years. But let's say they, they re, if they re-sign Riley, all of a sudden you've got a group of three of your top four are set for four years, potentially. Yeah. I mean, they can always trade those guys or it can always change. But if they want to, like if those guys, let's say Brody and Muzzin both play really, really well the next two years, you can have your decor kind of locked in and set for a long period of time, which the Leafs haven't had. Like they have not had a group of good defensemen that have played together for multiple years and since like, I, I don't Early know. 2000s. Yeah, like McCabe, Caberla, like back then kind of like they, they just haven't had any stability at that position. And I'm not saying that that's what's going to happen. I'm saying if they play well, that's a potential that they can have. And then you've got guys like Dermot and Sandine and Lilgren that you hope are pushing them for minutes. And if some of those guys, if Dermot or Sandine look really, really good and you feel they can play in the top four, then you've got the option to trade a Muzzin or a Brody and open a hole for one of the young guys. And, you know, it's it, it, the defense has become a position where it seems like they have some organizational stability if if, if things go right. Yeah, it sets up to be the best defense they've had in like twenty years, potentially. Obviously, lots has to go right. Brody I, has to. Yeah, I have some come reservations. Play pretty well. I, I, like, I feel like maybe we're getting too far ahead with Brody. Like, I think he's going to be fine, but I think he's kind of like a number four defenseman at this point. But that's that's really all they're asking him potentially to be. Now, yeah. one of the interesting questions, which we can get to uh, a little later, is is who should he play with? Um, one last question, though, from the survey. And if there are any others you want us to cover, let me know. Which team would be the Leafs' greatest challenge in an all-Canada division? I love this one, yeah. Now, the vote was like very, very, very split. The number one answer at 29.1% was Edmonton. Number two at 21.5% Montreal. Number three at 21.2% Winnipeg. And number four at 20.2% Vancouver. Well, it's a hard question to answer. I was trying with these survey questions to come up with like really tricky things, things that, that made you think and made were difficult to come up with. Like, I don't know what the answer to this question is. Most people picked Edmonton. Well, which would you vote? 
No, oh, I would not pick Edmonton. I, it's really hard. I th- to me, it's like I think to me, it's Calgary or Montreal. You know, I I, I like what Montreal did in in kind of changing their forward group a little bit. If if Price has a good year, I think Montreal can be surprisingly good. And and I like Calgary's team too. It's just you know they're losing Brody and Hamannick and changing their blue line, and some younger D are going to get more minutes. And that would be my pick. My pick would be Calgary or Montreal. Okay, so I'd go Calgary or Winnipeg. I know Winnipeg has questions on defense. They got big um, questions. But I like some of their... Big, yeah, for sure. I, I think the Montreal thing has been overrated. I still just think they have... To me, like they kind of remind me actually of the Leafs, minus the amazing goaltender and Shea Weber is still somewhat Shea Weber. But to me, they kind of feel overrated a little bit. Well, I um, just like that they got to Foley and they move out a guy like Domi, who's not the greatest two-way player and... Like I don't, I'm not saying that I think Montreal is a world beater. I just think that it's super. Like the Canada division, the Leafs should win it. They're the, yes. the they're the they should win the Canada division. And if they don't, that that the, they didn't play up to their potential. You know, it's it's going to be it, it's 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 a fortuitous situation for them that they get away from Tampa and Boston and the Atlantic. Even Buffalo is going to be better, and and they they get put in this division that's got some teams that are struggling and. I guess the the wild card in that division is probably Vancouver, right? Like because they just have yeah. some great young talent there. I love watching the Canucks now with Pedersen and and Hughes and like. But I mean, who knows what Holtby's going to give them? And and you know what's interesting about that team is so I've been doing this thing I've talked to you about, uh, which has required me to kind of look around the league. If they had hit on that Vertanen pick, and obviously that maybe that changes like the results after. So maybe they don't get Pedersen and maybe they don't get Hughes. But, like, you look at some of the players that they passed on to take Vertanen at six in 2014. Like, if they had actually nabbed another good player and some of the guys that went after him, Nylander, Ehlers, Larkin, Mm -hmm. like Pasternak, you'd be looking at the team and you'd be like, wow. That was kind of a a controversial pick when it was made too, right? Like, you know, people were questioning whether – yeah, well, the Neilander pick looks pretty good right now for eight. Like you get you get a player with the level yep. of talent that yeah yeah. Especially instead of Nick Ritchie. <laughs> yeah. well, Remember the clamoring for Nick Ritchie. Don Cherry does not agree that with you. That did not age Don, well. Yeah, well, I, I, I you know, all the like kind of like analytical oh and stats focused people were thought that was completely ridiculous. So. No, I I, I I'm really Man, excited. Pastor not going twenty five though. Well. You're really excited about what? I'm really excited about the All Canada Division. I mean, like as someone who grew up in Western Canada and who still watches those teams a lot, and like obviously my family's all Canucks fans, and I just I, I love the rivalries between like the Leafs and the Leafs in Montreal is a good rivalry, but I think that they need to expand the Leafs versus Winnipeg, Vancouver, Calgary, Edmonton. Like the fans in those markets hate the Leafs, and I, I just feel like. You know, with how close that division's going to be, and then they're get the playoffs is probably going to be all Canada teams for the first two rounds. I, I there's the potential for the rivalries to be so good. I actually think that this should be the way it always is. And I know like there's travel concerns and whatever, but you don't have to cross the border. And if if the league becomes more open to the the Taves schedule, if you haven't the Athletic, we had a story. Mark Lazarus had a great story about about Jonathan Taves proposing the way the schedule should be. Uh, where you play multiple games in in a in a market when you're on the road, maybe maybe this would work. 
Maybe they should have a road trip once a year where they play three games in Vancouver in a week. Like, I wouldn't mind hanging out in Vancouver for a week, and I'm sure the players wouldn't mind. And what's the problem with that? Like, why do you have to bounce between cities every every day? Why do you have to go play a back-to-back in Dallas the next night? Like, that never made any sense to me. Yeah, and it's actually come up in the NBA as well because they kind of discovered through the bubble how much better the product was in the playoffs. And well, the a big part of it they attributed to is... Yeah, players weren't exhausted from traveling. But I agree with you. Like, imagine if in the first round the Leafs were playing Edmonton. Like, the excitement for, like, no, David, Matthews, Dreisaitl, Marner. You know, like, they would just be over the top. Those Toronto-Ottawa playoff series, like, and they were yep. facing each other all the time. Like, I was living in BC, and, like, those, those series were must-watch. It did not matter. And it, this is going to be, like... We could get a first round that's Toronto, Montreal, and Calgary, Edmonton. And, like, everyone's going to watch all of those games. You know, like, it's well, going to be... Well, then in the second round, it could be, like, Toronto against whatever, Vancouver. Calgary. Yeah. Yeah, or Vancouver. <laughs> the, the, and and I, I think that it would do a lot for the interest level for the NHL in Canada. And, and I know people think that that's, like, an impenetrable... Like, that's never going to go away. But it's not true. Like, you know, you look at younger fans are like their interests are going to the NFL and they're going to the NBA and the NHL has got to think a little bit harder about how they can make their product more interesting and things like these like different jerseys and 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 building real rivalries like most Canadian fans don't give two shits about like their team playing Dallas or you know Columbus or some of the and like nothing against those teams there's just there's no rivalry there there's no juice there and if you look at who the Leafs play on most nights like it's they're going and they're playing these teams that people don't care about over and over again. Whereas if they were playing Edmonton and they were playing Vancouver and they were playing... And the thing is, the American viewers, in large part, you look at attendance when Canadian teams are down there, other than like Snowbirds in Vegas or Florida, the American fans don't give two shits about Winnipeg coming into town or Montreal or whatever. Like, why not have a much greater percentage of the schedule be Canadian teams playing against each other? And the ratings on TV would be better and... I just think it would be good for the league and it would be good for interest and it would be good. Like it, there's, I, I don't see a downside to this. Well, and it's probably better for American TV if you had more yes. just American matchups. Well, build those matchups too. Like, like get, get yeah. more games with, you know, get Pittsburgh playing Philadelphia more or, I mean, there's gotta be, um, Pitt Chicago would be fun. Yeah. Well, that's Although yeah. Chicago. You, well, that's the thing is you could get some teams that that aren't in the same division that don't play each other enough right now. Like what, like the Rangers, like original six should play like Chicago more often, and like get some of those big market. And like you get pull away some of these Canadian games, and 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 and, and build some more rivalries there. Get Boston playing Chicago, and get, what if you had something where like if it's two American teams that met in the Stanley Cup the year before, they have a series where they play each other like four times the next year. So, like, you'd have uh, uh, Tampa and um, why am I and Dallas. Tampa and Dallas would play a bunch of games next year, and there would be a lot of interest in that series. And, like, maybe they go to Tampa and they play two games, and then they go to Dallas and they play two games right away, and you put that right in the middle of the season. It's like, here's, like, a, here's like a, something that fans can be interested in. And then it goes beyond just, I don't know. I, I just think there's a lot of things the league could do to, to increase interest in the other thing I think they should do is they should put another team in Toronto and they should think about putting a team in Quebec, making the Canada division nine teams and just, I don't know. I feel like 
So we one of the questions we asked in the survey was, uh, are you in favor of a potential all Canada division? Uh, and 62% of people said that they love it. Um, very few people said they, they hate it. And about 30% of people said they don't care. But I'm telling you, I, I, I think that I think the league's going to see the response to this. And I think Sportsnet's going to say our ratings have never been better than this. And we want this to keep going. So I wouldn't be surprised if this is not just a one-off. I think you've made a good case. Uh, I want to talk to you about who Matthew should play with, who Brody should play with. But first, we need to take a quick break. All right. You did make a very good case about the Canada division, and maybe we can explore that more when it becomes official. Um, soon. So, soon. So, I wrote about some line combinations and special teams, and I had a lot of fun doing it. I love doing that stuff. I just think it's interesting to, to look at who plays well with who, who might play well with who. I saw the commenters um, were yelling at you. Yeah, well, there's some disagreement over a couple things, and, and one of them is is that Austin Matthews I, I think it's worth looking at not playing him with either Mitch Marner or William Nylander. Now, that was not the case last year. He played with one of them in every game. Um, but you go back a year before that, he played most often with Kapanen and Marlowe, and he was still really good. And I just think for a balanced, a deeper team, I think there it's worth looking at. Do you agree or like you're on board with the commenters and you just think it's insane? No, I'm I'm okay with. I mean, I I think that that Tavares probably needs more help than Matthews does. I mean, like Matthews is kind yes. of ascending to be one of the best five or ten players in the NHL, and and Tavares. I mean, I know he was hurt and things like that, but there's some concern that that maybe he's slipping a little bit. So you know, and and, and Marner, the way that he skates and moves the puck and transports it and things like that, I I think that not that Tavares and Elander didn't play well together, but I just I don't know. I I don't have a problem with splitting up Marner and Matthews at, at times. I mean, it's it's putting a lot of your offense on one line. I mean, it's probably your two best line-driving players you're putting on the same line, and it makes you easier for other teams to match up against. Yes, and that's and that's part of it, and I think you've made the point that I, that I think about most, and that's like Tavares needs Marner. I don't know that Matthews needs Marner. He's better. Like, it, it's going to help him playing with a better player, just like... You know, Nikita Kucherov is going to be better playing with Braden Point. But I think Matthews would score no matter who's on his line. They should do it when they need a goal. Like if you're down in a game. Yeah, I mean, they, sure. Yeah. Which uh, they do. It, it should be like the... Like remember when they used to throw Taves and Kane together at times? and Or like Malkin and Crosby would play together at times? And like just have that be We've like, seen Keith do that a ton, right? Yeah. Like he did it in game five. Yeah. Probably to their detriment. <laughs> um, so... I, I'm I, I'm I'm thinking it's just worth trying and seeing how it looks, especially given like what that third line could look like. Um, I mean, you look at those bottom two lines and you just kind of don't know what you're going to get. Um, I'm, I'm looking at your story. Other, you did some wacky stuff here. Yeah, I had some fun. I had a lot of fun with it. No wonder people the power play. Mad. Well, it's worth exploring all this stuff. The power play. I thought I was really happy with my number one power play potential unit outside of just going with the same thing as last year, which is fine. But Dom, like, really just shat on my number one power play. Well, I, I think, well, because Dom's run a lot of numbers about how you should Yeah, and I, split I think up. that's a mistake to just look at strictly numbers, which I was going to get into with it. The, the, the wisdom now with power plays is that you should really lean on a strong first unit and play them the majority of, of the power play. Because, you know, the players 
frequently are going to play the first minute or minute and 20 seconds and there's not a lot of time left for the second unit and mm-hmm. it might be a face-off outside the zone or or who knows what the, like the pp2 is not going to get nearly as many good opportunities so you want to make sure you don't put like your star players on that second power play unit i just think we we saw last year the way it can work now now it, it ranked very well uh, but by the playoffs that first unit wasn't wasn't good and I, I think well, we saw that's a tactical thing and not like a yeah fair. I just think we saw um, a few years back when they had two really good units, how much of an advantage that could be. Now it wasn't an advantage actually in the playoffs. I don't recall, um, but both those units played a pretty good amount, um, and I just think that that's something they could explore. So my idea for a number one unit was Matthews, Thornton, Simmons, Riley, and Neander. And then the second unit would have been Marner, Tavares, Spezza, Lettinen, and VC. Anyway. All right. Only other thing I want to ask you about that. Who do you think they should play TJ Brody with? Jake Muzzin or, or Morgan Riley? You've got, uh, it looks like you've got Hall with Riley, which I don't love. So it, the hard thing isn't, isn't, like, I like Muzzin with Brody, and I think that that makes a lot of sense. And I think that they're going to spend some time together on penalty kills and maybe late in games when they're trying to shut things down. I just, it just doesn't give Riley the kind of partner on the right side that, that I think he needs. Like, yeah. I guess you could play Riley with Bogosian at times, maybe. Yep. Maybe yep. that's, maybe late in games you go Muzzin, Brody, and Riley, and Bogosian. Or, yeah, or Muzzin, Bogosian, and Riley, Brody. Yeah. They've that got some sense. more options now in those situations anyway. Yeah, defending a lead, they're, they're in a much better position than they were. I mean, they were relying on, like, Cody Cece, and, and obviously they couldn't play Tyson Berry to protect a lead. That's yeah. That was very detrimental, obviously. Yeah. Um, before we wrap, I should also mention, again, that promo, theathletic.com slash sleep report, uh, 125 a month. Yeah, if you're, not, if you're not subscribed or you've let your subscription lapse, come back. We've got uh, we got some good stuff cooking, so you know it's going to be, especially with the season coming. Uh, some of the stuff that Jonas and I, I know, I know there hasn't been as much content on the site of late as there normally is, but that's because we're working on some stuff. You got it. Well, one thing just to hit quickly before we go, uh, it doesn't look like the ECHL, the Growlers are going to have an ECHL season. Um, what do you think of that? Mm, it's 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 going to hurt. I mean. It's going to depend, you know, the Leafs really need the AHL season to look quasi-normal, and I don't, that would be my biggest concern, is that the if the, yeah. if the AHL is screwed up too, then the Leafs might just have to sink some money into making sure the Marlies get some games. Like, I wonder if what happens is some of the, I don't know, I don't know what's going to happen. Like, there could be AHL teams that don't play. I mean, it, that would be a big problem because then what do you do with Sandine? What do you do with Lilligren? Like, yeah. Well, they've been sitting and waiting since like, what's the last, the last games they played? Early March? Like it's been eight early months. March. Yeah. You and I are feeling it. Like we haven't covered games and like, it feels like we're getting, I was going back and reading old game stories the other day. Like you know, <laughs> I'm getting, I'm getting nostalgic for <laughs> being around the rink and, and doing what we're supposed to be doing. Can you imagine how the players feel like not playing in a game since March? Um, yes. So, you know, the ECHL, I don't think there were going to be a lot of really high-end Leafs prospects that were going to be playing there. No. But Probably but the goalies. The Yeah. I mean, 
I mean, we can dispute whether we want to call them high-end prospects, but like the ECHL is important yes. for goalie development. I mean, where are Joseph Wool and, and Ian Scott gonna gonna play if if not for the Growlers? Well, and I wonder. I reported on Timothy Lilgren, like if the NHL season doesn't start until like February, that that he'll probably sign in the second Swedish league. And I wonder if the Leafs would revisit that for Sandine too. Maybe not. They're just they're holding um, out hope that something's going to happen. I mean, the, one of the options that's being talked about with the AHL is that teams will be NHL teams will be given uh, permission to potentially travel a full AHL team with the NHL team and yeah and play and they games, could just play each other right play games against the other teams. Yeah. But I don't know that that's not going to be economically viable for every NHL team. Like I don't know that like Arizona is going to want to like travel their full AHL team and. They're just, they're maybe, I don't know, maybe there'll be scrimmages and stuff and maybe teams will have a 10 player taxi squad that travels with them and then those guys will play against each other and I don't know. They're going to have to get creative if if there can't be a, an AHL season. I mean, the ECHL is in tatters. Like, how many teams bowed out today? Six? And they, Atlanta, I know, already said they weren't going to play the season and there was one other team, I can't remember which one, but like they're, they've been dropping teams now for the last couple of months. All right, I think next week we're going to bring back the second or first, the 1A or 1B greatest guests in the history of the Leaf Report pod, Mark Masters. I'm telling you, he's our Steve Martin. He is our Steve Martin, yes. And, maybe and I should mention... what Chris, maybe Chris is our Alec Baldwin. Yeah, yeah, good comparison. <laughs> um, I did want to mention, obviously, it's a hot time in the NBA. Uh, check out the Raptors Reasonableists podcast check out the no dunks podcast which is very good for nba news and nick kiprios was on with craig custance the full 60 so check that out james anything else to add yeah our raptors coverage has been excellent blake murphy and eric kareen follow them on twitter read their stories on the athletic they have a lot more going on than than the leafs do right now so a lot of our effort is is going into having really strong raptors coverage right now so check it out Perfect. All right. We will chat again next week. Everyone stay safe. Thank you for listening. And James, I will talk to you soon.